So let's kneel together. Let's um, lift these dear people up in our prayers and uh, uh, let's pray for that love. So if you can, uh, I invite you to kneel with me at this, this time. Father in heaven, we thank you again so much for this Holy Sabbath day. We thank you for the opportunity again to come together here and the privilege uh, that you've given us to kneel together and pray. And as we pray here, Lord, we humbly ask for uh, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit to be alive in our hearts and our minds and, and to cultivate a love for each other, a love for humanity, that kind of love that Jesus had for us and to give up all heaven to come and take our place in death. Uh, Lord, we pray that uh, self will be removed from our hearts and uh, your love will be uh, a seed growing there. Uh, Father, we pray for our church here. We pray that uh, you will bless us as a people as we get out into the community and speak with our neighbors and do uh, our projects, that you will bless us this year to grow uh, this church, more importantly, uh, to gather souls for the kingdom and to plant seeds and to be prepared and preparing others for Jesus' coming. Uh, Father, you've heard the requests here. Um, we lift up a, a friend of the McGee's who um, has been in a depressed state and she's dealing with some mental issues and uh, we know that you love each and every one of us and you're very intimate with that situation. We pray that you will send angels to surround her and her sister and those involved uh, to remove the forces of evil that she may uh, have a right mind to think clearly and to see Jesus clearly and to come to a determination that uh, Jesus can change her life and make it worthwhile. Uh, we pray for... Um, the McGee family and their, uh, especially Steve, and the employment issues that he has, looking for new employment. Lord, they, you know they wish to do your will, so guide and direct there. And, and we know that when we do your will, uh, all things will be, uh, all our necessities will be cared for. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you especially be with his boss who's made some very good decisions uh, to get in line with uh, biblical principles. Uh, as far as health reform and uh, healing, we pray that you would bless him to that end. Um, there's a young man named Seth who tried to kill himself. He's uh, now in an induced coma. Uh, we pray that you'll be very near to him and especially his family. Uh, Lord, um, it's a terrible tragedy to see what's happening to our youth today. Uh, Lord, I pray for our young people uh, that they will make a right choice in, uh, and choose Jesus. Um, Lord, uh, we lift up also um, Tim's niece. I think he said her name was Beth. Uh, we pray for her and this young man that they will be healed uh, and that they will come to know you completely and give their hearts to you as well. And Lord, again, we pray for our church here and the one in Lafayette and all the saints that we may come together as you, you prayed for, and Jesus prayed for, that we can finish this work and all that can be saved will be saved and Jesus will return. Lord, we humbly ask that you forgive us our sins. We claim the blood shed by Jesus. And we pray especially that we may gain a taste of heaven today and an encouragement 
to go out after this Sabbath and spread the love of Christ to others. Lord, give me the words to speak as we uh, search the Scriptures today. And may we learn the lesson you have for us. We thank you so much for hearing our prayers. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, beloved, as I said, we're beginning a new year. I don't think anybody is unaware of that. Just in case you are, I'll let you know this is a new year. And with that, I hope that there's a renewed uh, hope that the work will be finished and Jesus will return. You know, the Mayans had a calendar that said this was the year. I don't believe the Mayans. I believe the Word of God. But I do believe that this could be the year. While discussing, you know, the the previous year, which we tend to do when a new year is coming, um, I was asked why Jesus has waited so long to return. And the simple answer, really in my mind, is that His work is not finished yet. He's still working to have a people that will always choose to do His will. His church victorious. There is a work for us to do. A work for us to do with Jesus. And by doing that work, we can hasten that glorious day. Peter tells us, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, He's ta- in this chapter, he, he's talking about how the earth is going to be burned with fervent heat. And he says, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, there's a promise again, according to His promise, look for what? New heavens and a new earth. This world is not our home, friends. He could have stopped there. But he he emphasizes, not just a new heaven and new earth like this one, but he says, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Peter's telling us that not only do we look for that day, but also we can hasten that day. And when we cooperate with Jesus, let me tell you, friends, we do in fact hasten that day. He says in verse 14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of Him in peace without spot and blameless. Friends, let's covenant together here the beginning of this new year. Let's make a covenant as God's people between ourselves and between God to be diligent. To be diligent that the goal this year will be reached by grace. This goal of being found of Him in peace without spot and blameless. Amen? We talked a little bit about vows this morning. It's a covenant. It's an agreement. 
And when you say amen, God takes note. When you agree, He takes note. He takes it seriously, and we should take it seriously. Amen? So don't say amen if you don't mean it. I want to talk a bit about our work for the Master for the year 2012. And we each have an individual work to do for Him this year. Do you believe that? But much more, we as a group of people, a church, have a work to do for Him. You see, it's a lot easier for Satan to take one person out, to get them tripped up. But when we come together in unity and work for the Lord, it's much more difficult. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11 talks about the experiences of the children of Israel. And Paul says, and you're familiar with this, now all these things happened unto them for examples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Are we a part of the people upon whom the ends of the world are come? You know, the United States president just signed into law a bill. He did it over Christmas. Nobody's paying attention to what the government's doing over Christmas. He's in Hawaii on his, I don't know, millionth vacation since he was elected into office. I don't know that he's ever worked, has he? What a job. Yeah, that's exactly. Exactly. He, he is... He's in breach of law right now. Basically, he's becoming a dictator. Ignoring the Constitution. Not just ignoring the Constitution. Bush did that. He's trampling it. But he signed into the law a bill that declares the United States a battlefield so that the military can now detain a United States citizen with no right to counsel for as long as they wish to detain them, wherever secretly they wish to detain them, if they suspect that citizen of being a domestic terrorist. Now, according to the Department of Homeland Security, and you can do this research on your own, you may be considered a domestic terrorist if, and I've listed some, if you believe in end-time prophecies. Well, friends, I think we kind of qualify there, don't we? You believe in state or local authority. I do. You are against abortion. You are against illegal immigration. Well, we have laws for a reason. We're law-abiding citizens, aren't we? And we are to abide by those laws unless they conflict with the laws of God. If you believe in the Second Amendment, Friends, one reason why the Japanese in World War II did not invade our country is because they believed every house had a weapon. And it was because of the Second Amendment. Don't tell me that bearing arms is not a deterrent to crime. Amen. Now, I'm not saying go out and get a gun or any of that, but we have a right to as free individual citizens of the United States. That's what the revolution part of it was about. If you criticize any of the free trade agreements that the United States has made, <laughs> if you are against same-sex marriage, you can be considered a domestic terrorist. If you believe that an economic collapse is happening, 
My goodness, doesn't the whole country believe that? If you think that the United States may declare martial law someday, if you believe that the United States is creating detention camps, some things are just completely obvious. If you stockpile food, ammunition, or weapons, I'd say, friends, if you just stockpile food, more than one week, they can consider you a domestic terrorist. If you don't think Satan's war against God's people is real, this should open your eyes. If you believe that illegal immigrants are taking away American jobs, well, why are they here? (laughs) You know? Yeah, exactly. Well, Brother Tim, the devil plays both sides against the middle. He wants to close the borders, not so much so that people can't get in, but God's people can't get out. Full control. And then here's another one. You believe New World Order conspiracy theories. Well, a lot of them may be conspiracy, but Revelation is not. Then, of course, friends, the list goes on and on and on. Now, considering that such an act of the United States government falls within end-of-the-world prophecies of Daniel and Revelation, uh, we are indeed among those people Paul was speaking about. (laughs) When you study about the children of Israel, you will find, and we talked about even uh, today in Sabbath school, you look at the Gospels, even at the time of Jesus, we're going through the same things, the same type of experiences as they. So I want to look, I want to look at one, taking the counsel of Paul there, I want to take a look at one of these experiences as an example and an encouragement, beloved. Uh, for us to run the race and reach the goal of hastening the Lord's return. Amen? Let me ask you, would you would you be happy to see Jesus return this year? Sometimes I've asked this, this question and I get to see everybody because I stand up here. Some people squirm and I'm like, wow. You know, take kind of note at that. Every child of God, I, I believe. That's the, the glorious hope, isn't it? Every child of God wants Jesus to return sooner than later. And it can happen, but we have a work to do, don't we? And so I hope that this will help to encourage you to that end. Let's go to Judges chapter 6, and I'm, I'm going to spend time in Judges 6 and 7, so keep your finger uh, there. But Judges chapter 6 tells about a man who felt forsaken. He felt discouraged. Uh, And the Lord came to him and encouraged him and told him something totally unexpected. Told him that he was a mighty man of valor. Here's a man who felt forsaken and discouraged and the Lord comes and says, You are a mighty man of valor. But he had a very hard time believing it. Judges chapter 6, let's start with verse 13. I would encourage you to read these two chapters completely. I'm not going to. Judges chapter 6 and verse 13. 
Who am I speaking of here? Gideon. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Do not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Did not the Lord do that? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. You know, beloved, it's often it's often that God's call of obedience comes when the odds are against us. Gideon must have been tempted to think that the rewards of obeying God wasn't very much. <laughs> exactly. I'd cry too. And I say that because here's Gideon. He stayed faithful to God, as faithful, faithful as he knew how. He doesn't like you, Jay. But I'm thinking if you put yourself in the place of Gideon, here he is, he, he, he's probably tempted to think that the rewards of obeying God isn't very much. Because here he had stayed faithful to God. All that happened, because that was that the Midianites had come down against Israel, they'd taken them captive. And in fact, in those battles, he had lost all of his brothers. So I think it's in many respects, it's a, it's a natural response from Gideon. You know, he said, if the Lord is with us, why are these calamities happening to us? You know. And many people reason that way, don't they? They say, Lord, I've stepped out to obey you. And since I've stepped out to obey, nothing but tragedy and hardship has been happening to me. And so the temptation is to decide that it is just too hard to continue. That there's an easier way. And most all other religions, beloved, speak of an easier way. In Gideon's day, all the nations around worshipped Baal. Let me tell you something. Well, Baal worship is sun worship. It was a very easy religion. There were no strict rules or, or regulations. There wasn't a high standard of sanctification. They could do what they wanted to do as long as they pleased Baal. And Gideon must have been very tempted to follow Baal worship like most of the other people in Israel. Now let's not forget, I'm speaking about Israel. Look at verse 14. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? <laughs> and he said unto him, O oh my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So here, 
the commission comes that Gideon is the one that God's going to use to deliver Israel. Israel, let's remember, was one of the tiniest nations in the world at that time. There were 12 tribes. And of uh, uh, the tribes, Manasseh was the smallest. And it says here in verse 15, Gideon was the least in his family. So he must have been the smallest man in the world. (laughs) He was the smallest person in his family, of the smallest tribe in Israel, of the smallest nation on earth. That would just about make him the most insignificant person on the earth in the eyes of the world. Yet, you know something? God's call came to Gideon. Look, Gideon, I want you to be the one who will deliver Israel from the hand of the Midianites. I want to tell you something, beloved. This should teach us something. This shows that God can use any person no matter how weak we are, as long as we recognize our weakness and our own dependency upon God. That's the lesson that all of us must learn in life, I think, that we are not strong of ourselves, but our strength is in Christ. Amen? But Gideon's unsure. He's unsure it is the Lord, so he asks for a sign. He then prepared a a young goat and unleavened bread. He put the broth in a pot and he brought it out under the oak tree. Let's skip down to verse 20. And here he presents it to him. It says, And the angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes and there rose up fire out of the rock. There's a lot of symbolism there, friends. And consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight and when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee. Fear not, thou shalt not die. Who does that sound like? How would you have reacted to such an event? Gideon was scared. He said, I've been talking with God. But the Lord said, Do not be afraid. Do not fear. And beloved, I want you to keep that in mind. Because dealing with fear, how you deal with fear is is a big part of this story of Gideon. Pay close attention to the first part of the instruction God gives to Gideon. He already told him he was going to work through him to defeat the Midianites, the enemies of God's people. But before Gideon could go deal with the Midianites, he had some work to do at home. And here are some some questions I want you brothers to think about. How are things in your family? 
If you're a pastor or an elder, how are things in your church? You know, God holds you responsible for what is going on in your families. In the day of judgment, God's going to ask us a question. And uh, you guys are married. He's not going to uh, ask that question of our wives. Biblically speaking, I don't know if you know this, if a woman made a vow and her husband contradicted it, she was free from that vow. Do you know that? But let me tell you, if a man makes a vow, he'd better fulfill it because he's responsible to the Lord for it. He's responsible for what happens in his home. And if he's a pastor and elder, he's responsible for what happens in his church too. We're living in a generation where everything goes. And many fathers and pastors and and elders have let their responsibility slip. Am I speaking untruth here? Have you seen it? We have things going on in our homes and churches for which we are not going to want to give account to God in the Day of Judgment. That's a fact. You know, 1 Samuel chapter 2 tells of a man who did this very thing. I'm not going to go there, but you know the story, don't you? It says, Eli advised his sons not to do evil, but he didn't enforce what he said when he should have. And he and his sons lost their lives over it. And not only them, but thousands of people did as well. Before God can use any man to win a victory over his enemies for his people, things have to be right in that man's house. And things were not right in Gideon's family. Look at Judges 6 again. Look at verse 25. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal. What? Are we talking about Israelites here? What did he tell Gideon to do? Throw down the altar of Baal. He says, Throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. You know what the grove, the significance of the grove was? Oh, it's much, much filthier than that. They had orgies. They built these altars and they built groves around them, gardens, and that's where they would go in and have orgies. Sacred orgies with temple prostitutes. Oh, yeah. So God tells him to do what? Not just tear down the altar, but destroy the grove. He says, cut down the grove that is by it, and build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place. And take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove, which thou shalt cut down. <laughs> You're going to burn it up. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. 
This is a very strong lesson for us here, friends. Are there idols in your family? (laughs) Are you allowing it to happen? If you are, beloved, God's going to hold you responsible. God is love, isn't He? But there are certain things God would not allow to take place in heaven. And when some angel said, you know, we're going to do it anyway, the Lord said, then you're going to have to get out. Isn't that what He said? God cannot work miracles for His church through a man whose family is not in order. That would be condoning disorder. You see? People have to understand that in our homes, there is a law. Not our law, it's the law of God. You young people listening? We are His children, therefore we abide by those laws and disobedience is not allowed. And this principle is throughout the Bible. Jacob said, we need to have a revival in our family. I'm the father, you have idols, I want you to get rid of all your foreign gods. Isn't that what he said? And they gave them to Jacob. And Jacob buried them. Jacob recognized that he could not have the blessing of God on his family while some were worshiping idols and false gods. Read that in Genesis 35. If there are idols in your house, the Lord is not going to be able to bless you and your family. Do you know that? So fathers, if you are a father, you need to rid your house of idols. God made a covenant. Here's another example. God made a covenant with Abraham. It's interesting, we're talking a lot about covenants and vows today. Genesis 17, verse 10, He said, This is my covenant, which she shall keep between me and you, and thy seed after thee. Every man, child among you, shall be circumcised. And ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. Now, this was between who? This was between God and who? Abraham and all of Abraham's descendants, right? Now, one of uh, Abraham's most famous descendants was Moses. God called Moses to deliver Israel, didn't He? But God could not allow him to deliver Israel until Moses had straightened out some things in his own house. On his way to deliver Israel, and you read about that in Exodus 4, It tells us that the Lord met Moses and sought to kill him. Now God had called Moses to deliver Israel, yet there's an angel there to kill Moses. Now what's going on? You see, Zipporah, who was Moses' wife, she had a horror of blood and suffering. She couldn't take it, couldn't see it. So she didn't allow Moses to uh, circumcise their son. Because Moses had allowed this to continue, God could not let him go deliver the children of Israel until the problem in his house was corrected. Moses was in disobedience. He was still heading to Egypt. He was heading to do what the Lord had asked him to do. Does that make sense? And it was on that road to Egypt that the angel met met them to kill Moses. If he continued, what'd they do? 
Well, it was then that Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet. So God let him continue because he'd straightened it out. And we should praise God for that. He allows us. He's merciful. He's loving. He allows us to straighten it out. But we got to straighten it out. Is your family in order? Is the Lord going to be able to use you to defeat His enemies and bring victory to His people? Not if your house and your life is not in order, friends. Is your church in order? <laughs> Paul gives the necessary qualifications for a bishop. 1 Timothy 3, verses 4-5. to One that ruleth well his own house. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. Having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? This lack of true gospel order and organization is a major reason why we're still here, friends. It's a major reason why we're not benefiting as a people uh, from the blessings of God. He can't pour out a latter rain with power when we're like this. And let me tell you something. It starts here, and it starts in the home. And that home, Christian home, God sees as a little church on earth. And then that will pervade into the church. Don't skip it starting in here, because if you do, it'll never happen. There are Adventist churches and homes all over the world that are not in order and we need to do something about it. You say, well, what can I do about that? Like I said, it starts in here, doesn't it? A deacon is a servant of the church. That's what the Greek word diakonos means. 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 3, verse 11 and 12. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own house as well. Now, friends, don't get me wrong. God understands families that are in different situations. Maybe uh, one spouse is a believer and the other isn't. There are certain situations like that, isn't there? The believer can aid in the work of the church. So don't get me, get me wrong. You do what you can, though, don't you? God understands those things in those situations. The point is, let's do what we can ourselves, amen? And work on our families, all that we can do. If you really love God, you obey His commandments. Isn't that true? And I recognize that no matter how humble, no no matter how gentle, no matter how tactful, believe me, it's been my experience, occasions will arise when people in your family rebel. <laughs> believe me. We've been there, haven't we? Do you know what Ellen White says? That it, if you decide to do what is right and you walk with the Lord, you might have to walk alone like Enoch. I've pondered that statement from time to time because Enoch was a married man. He had children. Yet she said he had to walk alone. But I'll tell you this. 
I would rather be like Enoch than be like Eli. When you attempt to follow the instruction God has given to help your family to come into order, your church family, to come into order, you get in big trouble. And so did Gideon. Go back to Judges 6. Look at verse 28. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, and the grove was cut down that was by it, And the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. And they said one to another, Who has done this? Who has done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon the son of Joash hath done this thing. When they found out that Gideon had done it, they told Joash to bring Gideon out so they could kill him. That's verse 31. Now see... Gideon knew that he was going to have trouble, so he did it secretly at night, didn't he? But you'll notice that he did it immediately. As soon as Gideon was told by God to do something, he didn't dilly-dally around, but he did it immediately. When the truth comes to our hearts, beloved, God wants us to be obedient immediately. Not next year, not next month, but now. Study it out, pray to the Lord, obey now. As David said, when I heard the commandment, I made haste to keep them. Make haste. Friends, we ought to be in earnest. We ought to be in haste to do what we know to be right. Now, we may not know all that God wants us to do. But what we do know, we ought to be keeping, shouldn't we? And we ought to be doing it. And as God sees us acting on truth, then He will reveal more truth. And as we act upon that, God will show us more. (laughs) I will tell you something. God will not show us light. He will not reveal to us light while we do not obey what we already know and let it shine. Why should He? If we don't trust Him enough to show what we do know, why would He show us more? Gideon obeyed the Lord and he was accused and threatened. When you attempt to follow the Lord's instructions by getting the idols out of uh, your house and bringing your family into harmony with what God uh, has said, well, you know, you'll be accused. You'll be accused of being a fanatic, uh, an overbearing father. Trust me. (laughs) An unenlightened person, a hard taskmaster, all sorts of things. Because self rebels. And if you're an elder or a deacon and you try to help your church come into order, you're going to be accused of all those things and more. People accuse you of being unchristlike. <laughs> when you attempt to follow the instructions needed to get your family or your church in order, you're going to get in trouble, just like Gideon did but not with the Lord. 
I've heard some question whether or not Gideon was wrong to destroy their idols. As it seems, he took away their power of choice. Have you ever heard that? Did Gideon take away their power of choice? I mean, Gideon didn't ask them if he could tear their idols down. Did he? Doesn't, doesn't say that. But the Lord told him to do it and he did it. So, did he take away their power of choice? Now, let me tell you something. When you surface read it and you first look at it, it might look that way. But let me remind you of something that maybe you've forgotten. We all make agreements in our life. Right? When we get married, we make a holy, sacred, and binding agreement. And it involves covenant promises. These people who were so angry with Gideon, they and their forefathers had entered into covenant promises with the Lord. Didn't they? Gideon was not taking away their power of choice when he destroyed the idols. They had already promised not to worship idols. Their choice had already been made when they made a covenant with God. Now, don't miss this. They decided to stay with Israel, but under their own rules. It doesn't work that way, beloved. That's what Satan did in heaven. I'm going to remain in heaven, but under my own rules. Now, they could have decided to go back and live in Egypt where they could have worshipped all the idols that they wanted. They were free to separate from Israel and go back, but they didn't. They wanted to be a part of Israel. But you know something kind of got in the way. Being a part of Israel meant no idol worship. So, brothers, pray and ask the Lord if you're fulfilling your obligations in the family and church. You have decided to be in spiritual Israel, but you cannot remain under your own rules. (laughs) You must follow the law of God and His rules for the family and the church. I take this seriously. I hope you do too. Consider that your responsibility, you know, the Lord's going to ask us one day about why we did or didn't do what was to be done. Exactly. That's hey, you're not going to see an idol. You're drinking at the bar of Babylon. You're intoxicated. You're not going to see clearly. Yeah, we need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes. Think about this for just a minute. It may seem like your family is rebellious now. And maybe you aren't having the experience, so I speak to those who are. Um, But the very people who seem rebellious now can rise up in the day of judgment. It could be your wife, your children, church members, and they can say, why did you not enforce the law of God in our home and in the church? (laughs) The church needs men who will say, in my house and in the church... We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to live according to the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. 
by faith in the Son of God. You know something, friends, as Adventists, we have already covenanted to do that. If you married a woman who was an Adventist, she has already made that decision too. (laughs) You're not asking anything unreasonable to say, I want everybody in my family to obey God's Word and the spirit of prophecy. And you young people are thinking about getting married someday. You better marry somebody who's made that decision too. You're going to start out in a whole world of trouble. Is it unreasonable for elders and deacons to hold members accountable to keep what they've already agreed to keep when they were baptized? Some people fight against what they themselves have agreed to do. It amazes me sometimes. How am I out of line to ask you to keep your word? No, but nobody held a gun to your head. You still have a choice. But if you've chosen to be a part of the church, you're, you're agreeing to follow the Lord. You are agreeing to obey the Word of God and the Spirit of prophecy. So don't get angry if someone called by the Lord has pointed out your idols to you. Now, there's a right spirit and a wrong spirit to do that, isn't there? And there's principles and counsel on how to do that. But don't get angry at the messenger. You're the one that made the covenant with the Lord. Here's Israel. They want to kill Gideon because he's pointing out that they made a covenant. Let's go back to Judges. Look at verse 36. And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, behold, I'll put a fleece of wool in the the floor, and if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon all the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt serve Israel by mine hand, and as thou hast said. He's still having doubts, isn't he? By the way, you know, I skipped some parts there. That's why I encourage you to go back and read. We could be here for hours if we're studying chapter 6 and 7. Well, there's a lot of lessons there. Gideon's father backed him up because Gideon stood up in the family for what was right. They came and wanted to kill Gideon and Gideon's Gideon's father said, Hey, if Baal be God, let him deal with Gideon. So here Gideon, he's still, he's still got some doubts. Is really the Lord that's doing this? And he puts out the fleece here. It says, For he rose up early on the morrow and thrust the fleece together and wringed the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me. What's he saying? Okay, Lord. That kind of worked out the way I had it planned, but I really wasn't expecting it to be worked out the way <laughs> You know, I'm still unsure. Don't be angry against me. And I'll just, one more time, let me prove, I pray, but this once with the fleece, let, let now be dry only upon the fleece. And upon all the ground let there be dew. And, and God did so that night. And 
for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. Let me tell you something. Gideon was still scared, still dealing with fear. He said, Lord, you told me this, and I don't even know how to get started. You want me to do this thing? So Gideon asked the Lord for a sign. And the Lord gave him a sign. But Gideon was still struggling to develop his faith. Don't be angry with me, Lord. Let me ask for one more sign. You know, one problem with seeking after a sign is that doubt will want to explain the sign away. How did you know it was, it was God anyway? Might have been some fluke or an accident or something. That's the trouble with signs, isn't it? The safest way when God speaks to us, friends, is to obey immediately and not ask for a sign. Jesus said, an adulterous generation asks for a sign. But you to remember this. The devil can produce signs too. He can produce a sign against the truth. So asking for a sign can be a dangerous thing. I'm not saying that you're not to put your fleece out in certain situations. But you've got to be very careful. So Gideon decided to do what the Lord told him to do. He goes, he issues out a summons. He made some real enthusiastic, zealous, impassioned appeals. And his countrymen flocked to him, all except the people from Ephraim. 32,000 men came. But even with 32,000 men, the enemy outnumbered them about four to one. But what did the Lord say? Judges 7. Let's go to the next chapter. Verse 2. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many. There are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Essentially, the Lord is saying, you got too many people. <laughs> if this army goes out and they gain a victory, they'll decide that they did it themselves. Friends, God's work, His work is soon going to be finished. And... Uh, the victory will be won in a way so that you and I will know that we didn't do it. Praise God for that. I just imagine Gideon. He's got to be astonished. I made a call and all these appeal throughout all Israel. I get 32,000 men. It's still four to one. And you tell me, I got too many guys? <laughs> Lord, you know what I'm up against? God said, I want you to do what Moses told you to do. Before you go to war, tell, tell any man who is afraid to go home. They don't need to be here. Friends, if you're timid, you're not going to be working in the vineyard field of the Lord. You need to get right with the Lord first. Because I'm going to tell you something. True courage to stand for what's right comes from God and God alone. It doesn't come from yourself. So Gideon did what the Lord told him to do, and with a heavy heart, he watched 22,000 men go home. The majority of his army left. They went home because of fear. 
Remember I said fear? Fear is a universal part of, of human experience. Gideon had been struggling with fear, and that's why he asked for those signs. He had received three signs so far, but he's going to receive more. God knew he needed something to bolster his faith and give him courage, and sometimes God does that for us, doesn't he? One of these days, we will find out what it's like to have the majority leave us. The majority left Gideon's army. You know, when the national Sunday law is enforced, we're going to find out what it means to have a great majority who call themselves Adventists leave us. Why? Why are they going to leave? Because of fear. If you're afraid, you need to get with the Lord because you won't make it. How are you going to overcome the problem of fear? You know, as I read through the Bible, and I'm a very social person, I have some issues with being alone because I'm very outgoing. So I pray to the Lord quite often to bolster me and give me courage to stand alone and be like Enoch because I like to be with people. <laughs> and we were created as social beings. So that's a tough one, isn't it? That's why so many uh, people follow the crowd because it's a tough one to stand. But as I read through the Bible, I find that fear is the universal experience of a person who is alone. There's only one biblical solution to the problem of fear. And that's to have Jesus with you. If Jesus is not with you, you're going to be afraid. If He is with you, in these times, in battle, in warfare, with the forces of darkness, friends, if you have Jesus with you, you're not going to be afraid. There is no human solution for fear. Notice what Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. A right hand meant power. The power of my righteousness. You don't need to be afraid, friends, because God says He's going to be with us. You know, there were several times during Jesus' life on earth when the disciples were afraid until Jesus came. For instance, you remember the disciples were out on the Sea of Galilee? They saw Jesus walking, come towards them. They thought He was a spirit. They were terrified. But what did Jesus say to them? Matthew 14, 27. He said, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Matthew 17, 7. Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. It is the presence of Jesus that will take away your fear. And when we're faced with the kind of experiences that we'll be going through, there's no psychology, there's no human rationalization that can deliver us from fear. You can't count to ten or a hundred. Gideon only had 
10,000 men left. The enemy outnumbered him 12 to 1. The Lord comes to tell him that he still has too many. <laughs> the Lord said, we're going to put the people to a test and we're going to separate them into two groups. And beloved, you and I are going to be tested. In fact, we are being tested day by day, aren't we? Most often, we don't even know it. These people didn't know that they were being tested. These 10,000. And very often, we're tested every phase of life. And this was a simple test, wasn't it? Look at verse 4. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water, and I will try them for thee there. In other words, test them. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee, and the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shall thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink. So you got 10,000 men there, 9,700 kneel down. Leaving 300 who didn't. Look at verse 6. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were 300 men, but all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said, Take the 300. Let <laughs> me tell you, this was a big, a great test of Gideon's faith. It was such a test of his faith that he needed some special help to encourage him. So the Lord says, I want you to go down to the camp of the Midianites tonight. And you'll hear something. And when Gideon obeyed, and he, he goes down there and he heard these soldiers talking about a dream one of them had. And in the dream, a loaf of bread comes rolling down the mountain and hits the tent and destroys it. And the other soldier said, that is the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. The Midianites have, uh, the Lord has given the Midianites into the hand of Gideon. Now, what do you think Gideon's reaction is when he hears this? Is it an encouragement to him? Gideon says, the voice of God is speaking through these Midianites. I know it. The Lord delivered them into my hand. And I'm going to do what the Lord said to do and we're going to do it now. Friends, let me tell you, it's not enough to be without fear. 10,000 Israelites were there without fear before they were tested. They stayed. They didn't go home. They stayed. If you're going to go through to the end, it's not enough to be fearless. What did those 300 men have that the others did not have? That's a good question, isn't it? The simplest, usually, event of our life reveals character. Not the hardest, always. The simplest. One of the differences was that the 300 had a sense of urgency. They said, God's business has to be done now. It's our number one priority. Do we have that sense of urgency? Would you be willing to go into the time of trouble right now? Or do you want to wait another generation? Think about and pray about that. What is really the top priority in your life? Do you think it's time to finish the work? 
You see, the difference between the 300 and the others was that the others were going to take their time to get a big drink of water. But the 300 said, this is urgent work. And I wonder, how long is God going to have to wait before there's a group of people who are willing to go to battle now? Concerning this battle, from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 554, we read, "...the most complete system that men have ever devised, apart from the power and wisdom of God, will prove a failure, while the most um, unpromising methods will succeed when divinely appointed and entered upon with humility and faith. Trust in God and obedience to His will are as essential to the Christian in the spiritual warfare as to Gideon and Joshua in their battles with the Canaanites." By the repeated manifestations of His power in behalf of Israel, God would lead them to have faith in Him with confidence to seek His help in every emergency. He is just as willing to work with the efforts of His people now. You catch that, friends? And to accomplish great things through weak instrumentalities. You know, we're all weak. But the Lord said He's willing to work through weak instrumentalities and to do mighty things. She says, if they would cherish true humility, the Lord could do much more for His people. What is true humility? You want your family and your friends and churches to be in a condition where God can finish the work? I do. I would propose that we we fast and pray and ask the Lord to help us to get into that spiritual condition so He can work as He wants to work. We're so lacking in the Spirit. And there are revival meetings. I mean, we've had revival studies and Reformation studies. Friends, we've got to be converted people. You got to see Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. If we don't see Jesus, we're not going to be going with him when he comes. I ask the, the youth simple question every one of us has to answer Do you love Jesus? That's the bottom line. Do you love Jesus? You love Him enough to give everything to Him. Yeah, let's get this finished up here. Judges 7, verse 16. And He divided the 300 men into three companies, and He put a trumpet in every man's hand. Notice that. He put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers so that those pitchers weren't at that time exposed. Notice that He's organizing the men. God's church is to be an organized body. Friends, God has placed a trumpet in our hand and He's training us with a lamp. You see it? So this is what Gideon does. He organizes the men. Puts a trumpet in their hand. Empty pitchers with lamps and 
within the pitchers. And he said unto them, Look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall you do. So in other words, when I get there, you be watching me. And then whatever I do, you do. When I blow with a trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch, and they had but newly set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow withal. And they cried the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp. And all the host ran and cried and fled. God has given you a trumpet. Are you blowing it? He's given you a light. Are you letting it shine? Are we organized as we should be to do that? I found it very interesting that Paul picks up this illustration of Gideon's 300 and he quotes it in the New Testament. It's our scripture reading for today. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, the face of Christ had transformed Paul. It was the light that surrounded Jesus' face that he saw when he was on the road to Damascus. And that changed his life. And verse 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Just like Gideon's men had the light in earthen vessels. So Paul says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels in here. He's alluding to our bodies. They're made of clay. We don't amount to much. But this treasure of the transforming grace of Christ is made evident in our earthen vessels. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We don't change ourselves. So when that light shines, when that light shone all about around that camp, they weren't thinking it's that person holding that light. They were thinking, that's God. That's the sword of God come to destroy us. When they see the light that we let shine, people won't see us, friends. They'll see Christ. God will give every one of us victory. Not because we have the power. Not because there's strength in us. Or there's great achievements in any of us. But because God wants to show His power through our weakness. Just like He accomplished a great victory with the 300 against 120,000, so God wants to give us the victory now. He'll do it no matter how weak we may feel we are. (laughs) We are to blow the trumpet and let the light of Jesus shine from our earthen vessels 
And you know, we will experience victory. Did Gideon experience victory? Amen. Satan will flee. What happened after this battle is going to happen again, friends. Pray Charks and Prophets, page 553. No words can describe the terror of the surrounding nations when they learned what simple means had prevailed against the power of a bold, warlike people. If God had done this through 30,000 people, they wouldn't have been in terror. As much terror. But when those surrounding nations heard that 300 people had defeated and destroyed an army of 120,000, they knew that it was of God. What we are up against in our warfare is not humanly possible either. But that does not matter because of the God we serve. You see, it's God's work. Its success doesn't depend on numbers, does it? It's never dependent upon numbers. God can deliver by few as well as by many. It's a character that counts in the battle, isn't it? We know from the story of Gideon that success does not depend on numbers. And we know that God is going to finish His work in a way that is going to bring glory to Him and not to us. Gideon accomplished with 300 a seemingly impossible task. You and I also can accomplish a seemingly impossible task if we step out and obey God. Remember, it begins here. And then in our families, we've got to get in order. And then in the church. And God can do something that seems impossible. As we step out, God will show that excellence is not of us, but of God. Are you ready to blow the trumpet, friends? Are you ready to let the light shine in this new year? If we want Jesus to return, we have a work to do. We have a trumpet to blow, and we have a light to shine. Can we agree to do that this year? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we again thank you so very, very much for this Holy Sabbath day. We thank You for the encouragement that we get from the story of Gideon. And we pray, Lord, we are weak. Each one of us is weak. We have no courage. We pray, Lord, for the Holy Spirit to fill us with the light of Your love and with the courage to stand for truth no matter what. If we are to walk as Enoch walked, Lord, alone, may it be by Your grace. Help us, Lord, to organize as a people to do the work in our mission field and encourage all the saints around the world to do the same so that you truly do have one body reflecting your image perfectly so you can come and take us home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.